0: Do you have a favorite parable that Christ taught?
1: I think the one of the uh, seeds. The, the sower,
0: ones. the and the seeds? Yeah,
2: the very one I was thinking
0: of. Okay. Anybody <laughs> else? Favorite, favorite parable? Yes, John? The prodigal son. Prodigal son, okay.
2: <laughs> parable of the splinter.
0: Excuse me? Splinter. Yes, yes, the log in in the eye. and Yes. Mm -hmm. The Lord had very colorful imagery, didn't he? And he used it well. I'd like to turn your attention to Matthew 13 and read one of the parables. We haven't mentioned it yet. You've heard me talk about... The canonical drama. And by that I mean the drama that reaches throughout the whole canon of Scripture, from the beginning of the canon, Genesis, to the end of the canon, in Revelation. And in Matthew 13, we have a parable that helps uh, summarize that drama. So, 13, I'm going to begin reading in verse 24. He put forth. Uh, he put another parable before them, saying, "The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed seeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master." Did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at harvest time I will tell the reapers Gather the weeds first, bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Now turn down to or look down at verse 36. He left the crowds and went into the house, and the disciples came to him saying, "Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field." And he answered, "The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field Is the world. And the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Wow, this is great. Isn't this good stuff? We're we're just getting the whole (laughs) shebang right here uh, in one parable let him hear. The righteous will shine like the sun in, his, in, in the kingdom. What passage, Old Testament passage, does that remind you of? Daniel 12. At least that's what comes to my mind, where the righteous will shine. Fred?
2: Ken, in light of that, how can liberal theologians deny the uh, existence of hell and judgment, which they do?
0: Because they believe God is too nice Mm. to do anything so uh, dastardly (coughs) as to commit people to eternal punishment. Um, And so uh, it really goes to theology proper. And uh, somebody else may have a better opinion. To me, their theology proper is wanting in terms of whom they think God is.
1: A philosopher was writing to Martin Luther, and he said, well, this is what I see and Luther wrote back and said, your thoughts of God are too human. Hmm. That's the problem. we hmm. hear that. Could you repeat that? Go, your, go ahead. Luther said, answered, I believe it was Erasmus, but he <coughs> said, your thoughts of God are too human. God's not human. He, he does what's right, but when he says, uh, righteousness and mercy have met, hmm. kissed, hmm. He, he's the only one that can bring them together. Because when we want justice, we're really wanting mercy.
0: Okay, so a very apt word. Let me go a little bit further, Fred. And that is, if if I were to pose this question, uh, answer in your own minds. What is the most grievous sin ever committed? And we might think, oh, man. There are some really bad ones out there, right? I mean, there are um, uh, such things as deceit, such things as betrayal. Um,
1: Doesn't it say though that the most unpardonable sin is blasphemy of the Holy yeah. Spirit? Blasphemy of
0: the Holy Spirit. Okay. Now, Oldrich, there you go again. Give me giving me a biblical answer. I mean, okay. okay. Okay.
1: And
0: so and and that's where i'm going linda the most grievous sin you know we could quantify it and say well it's the sin that affects the most people it's the sin that you know the the mass murders or those kinds of things but what if we've got a perfectly righteous and innocent and holy god that is sinned against would that not maybe be the most grievous wrong and especially when he's so loving and um, and just and good and gracious. Um, and then for him to be wronged, to be wronged to his face. So I would kind of throw the most grievous sin into the lap of, of our adversary, the devil, and say, okay, he's committed that one, but then we kind of followed suit, didn't we? Because our forebears were deceived and sinned uh, against the Lord and disobeyed the Lord. So as we look at this parable, um, I I think we're seeing something of why we have messianic prophecy. Because in the large canonical drama that's being worked out uh, through human history, human angelic divine history, We've got a son of man that's sowing good seed. We've also got an enemy that's sowing evil seed. And at the end of this age, the son of man will will, um, deal with his enemy, Revelation 20. He will gather uh, his good seed and destroy the evil seed. And it's all because God is good, righteous, holy, just, um, masterful and um, and so forth.
1: Those angels gathering the bags, see tea, the tears. Mm-hmm. Would we call them the
2: grim
0: reapers? <laughs> yes, yes, Kay. We would. <laughs> she, she she made a very nice pun. Do, do you want to <laughs> say it a little louder?
1: The
0: grim reaper. <laughs> so sometimes we can ask the question, how has our world come to this place? I remember in, in the series of, of the movies, The Lord of the Rings, and um, I've forgotten the name of the king, uh, and they go to the keep, and Aragon and uh, the others meet him at the keep, and uh, all of the Iroquois uh, are coming against the city. And the king says, how has it come to this? Mm. Well, because of the evil in the world. That's why. Um, because of of the turncoat uh, wizard, you know, and, and, um, and uh, Sauron and, and uh, all of those people. That's why it's come to this. And that's why we find ourselves in the world that we are in. And... For all of the good things in the world, and we've all enjoyed, you know, those good things this last week with our families and and so forth. Well, okay, there have been some difficult times. I I grant you. I I yelled at my grandson this <laughs> a couple of days ago, and I had to apologize to him. There have been some difficult times. Okay, but we've also enjoyed some some great times. Um. Okay, let's let's go forward. I. You know, we're we're on our way to Revelation. <laughs> so you say. I, I keep saying yes. Okay. <laughs> okay. So here's number six. We've we've looked at Genesis 3:15 and 9:25 to 27 and 12:1 to 3 and 49:10. We've looked at uh, Numbers 24:17. Now turn to Deuteronomy 18. We'll pick up the reading at verse 15. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said... Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God or see this great fire anymore lest I die. Referring back to Mount Sinai and the smoke and the, the earthquake and the, the lightning and thunders and, and all of that. And the Lord said to me, they are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you, Moses, from among their brothers. I will put my words in his mouth. He shall speak to them all that I command him, and whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. Okay, now again, I'm, I'm quoting Hingstenberg in his Christology of the Old Testament. Um, <clears throat> this passage is confirmed messianic by the New Testament usage, as it refers to it. So let's look at those New Testament passages. Uh John one forty five. Someone go ahead and just read it out when you turn there. Someone else chapter five forty six. Someone else chapter six and fourteen.
1: Philip finds Nathan And said unto him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did right, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph.
0: Okay, and so for our purposes here, what what is the important part that Philip says here? Moses wrote. Of whom Moses wrote exactly, um, five forty-six. <coughs>
2: For if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words?
0: Amen. Amen. Six fourteen.
2: Therefore, when the people saw the sign which he had performed, they said, "This is truly the prophet who is coming to the world."
0: Okay, and now let's go to Luke chapter twenty-four. And someone please read verse 44.
1: He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms.
0: So we've looked at, this is now our sixth passage from the law of Moses, from the first five books. And everything that's written about me, Jesus says, must be fulfilled. And I really like that. Um, Old Testament scholars would be somewhat more vague and say, well, everything written perhaps about the Messiah. But Jesus says, not everything written about the Messiah, everything written about me. And that's a question that scholarship asks of Old Testament prophecies. Are we speaking about a person or are we speaking about a figure? Are we speaking about someone You know, that performs a function. And um, I, I like to take Jesus more literally. And I think when he says everything written about me, he's referring to himself. And so what Moses wrote is about Jesus. Certainly he's the Messiah, but it is about Jesus. And that, and only Jesus of Nazareth can fulfill. Uh, what was written. Now, the great, uh, the capstone of all of this is Acts 3. Someone read for us verses 22 and 23 of Acts 3.
1: For Moses said, the Lord your God will rise you through a rise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people Mm -hmm. you must listen to everything he tells you anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from among his people
0: okay so (coughs) uh, peter and john understood that moses wrote about christ and so as christ uh, or, or rather as they are preaching and defending their actions um the miracle in Christ's name before the Jewish authorities. They are saying, um, the words that Moses wrote, the prophet that Moses wrote about and and spoke about, this is him. That's Jesus. Now, we may understand Moses' words to speak about the prophetic guild. and, And again, Old Testament scholars will do that. They'll say, well, this is just the prophetic guild of which Moses predicts. Uh, We may read this with double reference, and uh, that is a legitimate hermeneutic to use, where it could refer both to the prophetic guild and then also to the ultimate prophet, uh, like Moses. Or we may take it to be direct prophecy, and... Maybe not today, but probably next week, we'll get into those methods of interpretation. Uh, and one of those will be a double reference. Personally, I, I would prefer the direct prophecy at this point, the direct prophecy and fulfillment. But I'm, I'm not going to uh, lose fellowship with anybody that takes another option, okay? <laughs> Moses wrote about a prophet like me and And what was it about Moses' relationship with God? Face to face. He spoke face to face with God. Uh, Jesus' enemies admitted that no one ever spoke like this man. And Jesus said, "I speak just as the Father has told me." So I believe Jesus is that prophet. Okay, now, making some summary statements here about the these six prophecies from the Torah. The first one is, Messianic prophecies rose out of situations of disobedience and consequent correction. Remember, in the, the cursing, God is speaking to Satan himself and says, uh, you have a uh, someone that's going to defeat you. You're going to strike him on the heel, but he'll strike you on the head. You'll inflict your damage, uh, but ultimately, you will not survive. Okay, so that came out of the curse for, for not only satan's defection but also his deceit uh, of the human uh, pair and then their disobedience messianic prophecies were given to early man adam and eve to the jewish patriarchs and to the people of israel so these messianic prophecies um, are are for the the uh the promised people yeah the the chosen ones But they are to enable the chosen ones to be what they're supposed to be, a kingdom of priests and a royal nation. Exodus 19. Messianic prophecies often contrast the subject and another person, a previous servant or even an enemy, as we have in 315. Um, As we have in chapter 9, verses 25 to 27, and, and the line of Shem, the line of Canaan. Some other observations. Messiah will defeat Satan and the enemies of Israel. Messiah will speak God's word incomparably. In other words, messianic prophecy is apocalyptic. Whoa! That's good stuff. So all of this is moving toward the end of the age, toward the ultimate revelation. And that's what apocalypse is. it's It's an unveiling. All of this is moving... Toward the unveiling of the Messiah. And it it envisages, that's a hard word for me to say, eschatological salvation. Okay, here are uh, some statements, some summary statements. Um, The Messiah, or excuse me, these six passages are admittedly general, yet progressive, and we've seen that. They begin in the Garden of Eden, they end at Mount Sinai. Messiah's person, And work will specifically address the needs of mankind brought about by the fall of the race into sin and its consequent estrangement. Much of the information in these prophecies pertains to the selection of an heir to Eve, to Shem, to Abram, to Isaac, to Jacob, and Judah as the bearer of the promised victory in the epic struggle between the worship of the true God by man and the perversion, corruption, and denial of any such worship. In other words, what I'm trying to say is that messianic prophecy is part and parcel uh, uh, of the whole canonical drama. The messianic uh, person and the prophetic word about the messianic person moves the plot. And, it, and the plot culminates in the unveiling of the, of the Messiah. So what we have is this large drama uh, from, the, from the creation to the new creation. And the Messiah is the key figure. He's predicted. He comes. He leaves. He's coming again. And that's the drama. That's what takes place. Okay. The Messiah Messiah may also be present in the Pentateuch through typology. And we haven't talked about typology. I'm just going to mention it here briefly. Uh, One biblical scholar, Milton Terry, defines a type as a real historical entity. And it could be a person, an institution, an office, an event, or an action that's not common but extraordinary, uh, divinely ordained. To be a foreshadowing of the good things which He purposed in the fullness of time to bring to pass through the mediation of Jesus Christ. So, are you familiar with type and antitype? Mm-hmm. Okay. If Christ is the antitype, if if He's if He's uh, the uh, Messianic uh, apocalyptic person, then the types prefigure what He is and what He will do. So. Name. Let, let's name a type in the Old Testament of Christ. Who, who's often considered a type? Melchizedek. Melchizedek. Joseph. Who? Joseph. Joseph. David. David. Uh, the tabernacle. Moses. 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 So uh, the serpent in the wilderness. You know, all of these things, uh, people, and uh, so forth, can be considered types of Christ.
1: Okay, I understand types, but I don't understand
0: anti-types. So, the, he is the ultimate. It, 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 the types reflect uh, truths about the ultimate person. Like a fulfillment of it. He's you
2: know, the type anti-type. You
1: Do you know anti-type? Is that what you're saying? Yes. Okay. the yeah. <coughs> anti Okay.
0: Yes. Yes, Fred?
2: Before we get too far away from it, just last night, I was reading right at the end of Acts. You know, when we think of witnessing, we always witness from the New Testament. And it said that Paul, um, regarding Paul, when he was in Rome, it said, using the law of Moses, the books of the prophets, he spoke to them from morning to evening. <coughs> His witnessing was all from Moses and the prophets.
0: Okay, so here's an assignment. This week... Construct a gospel presentation from the Old Testament.
1: Woo! I should have said that. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Greg. <laughs>
0: so let, let's think about that for a minute. Could we could we construct a gospel presentation from the Old Testament? So where, where would we start? Genesis
2: six.
0: Yeah. Genesis six? Yeah. We, we could even go to three if we wanted, but okay, Genesis 6, Genesis 3, we've got the fall of man, we've got the need of man. Derek, what, what exactly were you thinking now?
1: So the names of the, the first ten generations in this Hebrew, is, a, is it, it, when you put them all together, mm-hmm. it's the gospel message.
0: Okay, and, and um, he knows something we probably, most of us don't know, but we're, we're going to trust him on that. Okay, Um, so we need to have a need. The need would be the lost condition of man, right? Uh, We we need to have a consequence, and the consequence would be the death of man, right? And we could follow the reducing age spans of people from Adam and Eve in the 900s down to the patriarchs in the two or three hundreds. (coughs) And so forth. Uh, so we, we see that man is not living as long as he did once. Um, we need to have not, not only uh, not only the death, but the estrangement, <coughs> the broken relationship with God. What would we use? What Old Testament passage would, would we think of? Isaiah
2: 118.
0: Okay. 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 Uh, um, your
2: sins.
0: Yes. Yeah. Come let us reason together. Uh, your sins have... What's, what's the rest of that? Is yeah, but I'm thinking Isaiah 59. But yes, Isaiah 1. Yeah, your sins have separated you from, from your God. Okay. So we need those passages. And then, then we need
2: we did what
1: I, I, think, I think Genesis is so simple to relate to people with adam and Eve and their yes. sin yes. their separation from god yes I, I, it's just it, it's a very simplistic uh, way of presenting uh, what they did and what the effects of what they did were and then the the blood sacrifice that, it, that
0: okay. was required after that. Okay, and that that's, I think, where we need to go next. What is it that would satisfy God in, in terms of reconciling him with his defective disobedient people? Blood. <laughs> and he says blood sacrifice, blood atonement. So we could go to Abel, okay. and his sacrifice that was received, Cain's was not, and there may be other complicating factors there, but at least one was a blood sacrifice, um, we have, of course, Leviticus and all of the offerings and the statement there that without the remission or without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. Um, then we need something or someone that's sufficient Isaiah to pay the 53. penalty for all of us. Isaiah. So Isaiah 53, we would go to the suffering servant songs of Isaiah. Um can we construct the gospel from the Old Testament? Sure, sure we can. And, and Paul did that. <laughs> uh, and Derek, would you put those names on a on something and get them to me? I'd like I'd like to look at them. Okay. I, I know you've mentioned that to me before, but let's let's do that. Okay. So uh, talking. Uh, 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 another scholar, Trent, in types of, the, of Christ in the Old Testament sees multiplied correspondences between things in the Old Testament and Christ. More years, more reserved. And there's the question, uh, is, is a type legitimate without it being designated a type? Or can many, you know, many different things serve as types of Christ? And so scholars will, will uh, have their own perspective there. We don't need to spend time here. Let's, let's go to this slide. The Hebrew term Mashiach, anointed one, and it's uh, anglicized to Messiah, uh, appears 39 times in the Old Testament. It's rendered by the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew, as Christos. So Iesus, Jesus, Christos would be Iesus, Mashiach. In Hebrew. So it would be Jesus the Messiah, only in Greek uh, the term would be Christos instead of Mashiach, okay? Um, Two criteria that must be used for interpreting prophecies. One, the meaning of the Old Testament references to the Messiah must reflect the author's own times and historical circumstances. And two, the meaning must be a meaning that is reflected in the grammar and the syntax of the Old Testament text. Okay, so he's not allowing for allegory. He's not allowing for fanciful interpretation. He's saying what comes out of the text, and it's reflected in the times and the era of the prophet and his prophecy. You know, it it has to be legitimate. It has to be historical, and it has to refer to Christ. Those are the criteria for uh, messianic prophecies. Kaiser does that. Uh, Again, he uh, he has my highest respect. He's written a number of things. Uh, Dr. Stephen Bramer from DTS studied under Kaiser. Um, That rascal, he he had the opportunity. Um, Okay, rather than contending for messianic doctrine that results from a number of scattered predictions, now notice how Kaiser puts this, the Old Testament presents a concept of the Messiah and his work in the context of an eternal plan, which is unfolded before the eyes of Israel and the watching world. Remember I said, I think last week, where the Messianic prophecies don't just all of a sudden appear. And, oh boy, we're happy to see one here. And over there, we're happy to see another one. And isn't this delightful? Because we, we walk a little bit further through the Old Testament and there's another Messianic. No. There's a plan. There's a divine plan of revelation. And so there is a canonical scheme, if you will, of God progressively revealing his son to his people, to those who will read the revelation. And it works from Genesis to Chronicles. Now, You say, well, why didn't you say Malachi? Well, in the Hebrew order of the books, Chronicles is the last book of the Hebrew uh, Old Testament, of of the Jewish scriptures, okay? Uh, So Genesis to Chronicles. And isn't this wonderful, which was unfolded before the eyes of Israel and the watching world. And what does Jesus say? If you've got eyes to see, if you've got ears to hear, Hmm. Redelnik, um, and now this is a, a, a Jewish gentleman that's converted to Christianity he now teaches at Moody and uh, he says the best way of understanding the Bible as a whole oh boy this is so good and so simple uh, it's, it's to see the Old Testament as predicting the coming of the Messiah and the New Testament as revealing him to be Jesus of Nazareth it's it's so simple, but isn't that so true? Yeah. It it just uh, it just rings true. And he wrote uh, this book, The Messianic Hope. Is the Hebrew Bible really messianic? And he goes places that I'm kind of dragging my feet along with him. Not so sure that's legitimate hermeneutics, but okay.
1: Kent, it's like we were talking the other Sundays. That John 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 one in the begin, in the beginning was the word and the word was uh, basically they're saying he is God. In, in a period. Yes.
0: yes. Yes.
1: So even though he says the Old Testament is going to talk about the coming of Christ and Christ or the New Testament being uh, exposing or or showing him, mm-hmm. it's right there in John. Go back to Genesis.
0: Yes. Yes. So just as. We have creation in Genesis 1 and 2. We have creation in John 1. Yeah. Yes. Great point. So Kent, I don't know why I've
1: hadn't even thought about this before, but you're talking about the Jews read through Chronicles, huh. So they don't read the minor
0: prophets? Oh, yes. Yeah. They're they're all included. But okay. it, it goes the Torah, the fi- the first five books of Moses, right. and then the former prophets, the writings, the latter prophets. Okay. and the, And the latter prophets include... The 12. The minor prophets. I was
1: going to say,
0: my words, they don't read those. No wonder they don't (laughs) believe Oh, no. 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 They're just in a different order. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Okay. I I just misspoke Torah, former prophets, uh, latter prophets, then the writings. And Chronicles is at the end of the writings. Okay.
2: Okay. Where does Kings fit in there?
0: Okay, so the former prophets are Joshua through Esther, I believe. And then we've got the writings, which, of course, would be Job and Psalms and Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. And uh, Daniel, Chronicles. Ezekiel? No, Ezekiel. That would be a prophet. He would be in the prophets. Okay, six types of fulfillment. So when we're talking about canonical messianic prophecy, now, mind you, I'm not talking about messianic prophecy from the Apocrypha or from the Pseudepigrapha or the intertestamental writings. I'm only talking about Canonical—that is, the inspired scriptures that we have in our canon. Okay, um, so we have direct uh, fulfillment. Turn to Matthew two, and we can camp out here in Matthew two because several of these kinds of of, pro- of fulfillment are found right here in Matthew. Now. Matthew was a tax collector, right? He was also well-versed in the scriptures. And he also used the scriptures in different ways. But his, his seemingly favorite word was fulfillment. So he's going to use fulfillment in a number of different ways. And as long as we're following him, as in terms of what connotation of fulfillment he's he's intending then we'll we'll be in in good in a good place okay so here in matthew 2 verses uh five and six so uh well we need to pick it up when uh, look at verse three when herod the king heard this he was troubled because the magi had come and they wanted to worship this person who was born king of the jews uh herod was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, Herod inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. Now he quotes Micah. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So here we have Matthew specifically granting a literal or recognizing a literal uh, fulfillment of Micah's prophecy. And the Jewish leaders know it. They say, well, we know where he's supposed to be born. Not Jerusalem, but Bethlehem. That's a literal fulfillment of uh, Micah's prophecy. Now let's talk about a typical fulfillment. Are we ready to go forward?
2: Mm -hmm. Boy, you
0: are quick. Oh, yes. I'll enjoy this. Thank you. Um, Okay, so look (coughs) at Matthew 2.15. And again, Matthew really enjoys the concept of fulfillment. Watch this. So let's pick up the reading at verse 13. Now, when they had departed... An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. So the Magi have gone. An angel visits Joseph in a dream, tells him to head to Egypt. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night. You can just imagine what Mary's saying. What are you doing, Joseph? The child's sleeping. I'm finally sleeping. What on earth are you doing here tonight? Uh, can you not rest? Good grief. Okay, we've had these wonderful visitors, but we're all tired. And uh, and he says, oh, no. I've just been told by an angel that we need to get out of Bethlehem. Uh let, let me continue reading verse 15. Uh, well, let me let me go back to 14. He rose, took the child and his mother by night, and departed to Egypt, and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. All right, now let's turn to Hosea eleven.
2: Oh, what year was the- Jesus around 3 BC. What year this?
0: Be? Around 1 BC. 2 BC. Uh, yes, 2 BC, 1 BC. If if he was born in 4 or 5 BC, then this he would be maybe a couple of years old because all of the children, two years old and younger, uh, were slaughtered. So yes. Okay, so in Hosea, let's read eleven, and uh, well, let's read verses one and two. When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. The more they were called, the more they went astray. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and burning offerings to idols. Okay, what is Hosea talking about? Israel, Israel, and uh, specifically, what event? In Israel's history, going
2: into
0: captivity, well, oh, the, the Exodus. Please. Oh, the Exodus! So when Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. Now, Matthew in 2:15 says that Joseph and Mary's departure from Bethlehem to Egypt and then eventual return from Egypt fulfills Hosea. Eleven mm-hmm. one. How can that be? Is Hosea eleven one a prophecy? Yes. Who, who said yes? Derek. Derek said yes. Okay. Matt says yes. It looks like history. But yeah, it, it sounds like history, doesn't it? It sounds like a statement. But he says it's my son. Okay. Yes. And, that, and maybe that's what tipped, at least part of what tipped Matthew. So what could be happening here is we have a, a type and an anti-type, okay? So Egypt becomes the type coming out of Egypt from deliverance, just as Jesus will go to Egypt and then come out of Egypt uh, <clears throat> to the promised land and, and to his ministry. Another way of looking at this would be applicational. And that is Matthew simply uses the wording of Hosea and applies it to a new situation. Okay. That's, that's another possible way of interpreting this passage. And let's go to that, that applicational. So look at verses 16 through 18 of chapter 2 of Matthew. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and and all that region who were two years old and under. According to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men, then was fulfilled. Matthew likes this term, doesn't he, of fulfillment. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah. Weeping and loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. So let's turn to Jeremiah thirty one. Which uh, verse? Verse fifteen. Jeremiah thirty one, fifteen. Thus says the Lord, a voice is heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel is weeping for her children. She refuses to be comforted for her children because they are no more. Do we have an idea of what Jeremiah is talking about? For whom is Rachel? Now, Rachel would be a mother figurehead. Okay, Uh, Rachel and and Leah. um, Am I thinking correctly here? Uh, Jacob's wives? Okay. Um, for whom is she weeping? She's weeping for the chil- the, 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 her children, the Jews who will be decimated in the destruction of Jerusalem. Matthew picks up on this concept of weeping and applies it now to the women in Bethlehem. Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. And you can just imagine the darkness and the despair and the horror uh, the horror of these moms and dads waking up and their infants, toddlers, <coughs> dead in their beds. So what is Matthew doing here? I think he's applying what Jeremiah said about this mother figure weeping for her children, uh, the Jewish people, now applying it specifically to the moms uh, for their infant children in Bethlehem at 2 B.C. or 3 B.C. So so those are three different ways.
1: So is Rachel there kind of a
0: type of Mary? Yes, yes. Um, And, um, yes. Okay, number four. There's a a summary way of of fulfillment. Six types of fulfillment. We've got direct, we have typological, we have applicational, and now we have summary. And so turn, uh, or you're in Matthew 2, look at the last uh, verse. And this is speaking of of um, Joseph, uh, let's see, is it Joseph? Yes. He went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. Now, look in your margins. Did you see an Old Testament reference? Jeremiah 31, 15. Uh, 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 is that for verse 23? Oldridge?
1: No, Exodus no. uh,
0: 422 and 23 and Isaiah 11:1. Okay, so let's read those verses. John, do the Isaiah 1 and Aldridge, will you do the other two verses? Yeah, Exodus. Yes, the the two verses from Exodus. What was the passage in Exodus again?
1: Exodus uh 422 and 23. Hmm?
0: Okay, go ahead.
2: There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots.
0: Okay, now we're we're um, getting into word plays here, because the word shoot is uh, Nasser, I believe in Hebrew, and Nazareth, so this could be a play on words. Um, Let's do the Exodus. Uh, So this is uh, 422.
1: Then say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says. Israel is my firstborn son, and I told you, let my son go so that he may worship me. But you refuse to let him go, I will kill your firstborn son.
0: Okay, So that's not as clear maybe to us. The point I want, I want to make here is there probably isn't a clear Old Testament passage that says the Messiah will come out of Nazareth, but if, out of Nazareth. But if, if we go to Isaiah 53, he was despised. And that and there's a Hebrew term there um, that, resembles the word nazareth okay so this is more involved and this is more applicational according to redelnik Um, we're seeing things here that maybe aren't as clear they're implied but not not explicit Um, and he he would then be bringing a number of these passages of scripture together to show that jesus was in fact despised he was rejected and Nazareth is a backwaters place. No, you know, nobody of any import comes from Nazareth, okay, except the Messiah. Um, okay.
2: So, you, you said something uh, here. Uh, you, you said it's not clear to us because of translation stuff, but to these gentlemen who study this, and
0: mm-hmm. and
2: he said something about the Lord God. He's he's very adept at word at. at um, uh, word play, uh, and not to trivialize it, but mm-hmm. to make the reader put his thinking cap on, his or her thinking cap on, and says, Listen, yeah. check this out, because it's there, and those little nuggets that are hidden there in the word play. Yes. As it was. So it would be worth it's not a stretch, what these people right. are, are saying.
0: Right. And no matter what level, uh, at, no matter at what level we come to the scriptures, we are rewarded with truth. If we're doing it from the English translation of the Hebrew text or the Greek text, we are rewarded with, with the, the revelation. If we, if we are able to study the Hebrew in its, in its language or the Greek in its language, we will see more of those things. Uh, for instance... If you go to one of the minor prophets, the first chapter is all about wordplay, and he speaks of a number of places, and and the wordplays are just, I mean, you almost, if it wasn't so solemn, a passage, you would almost just be in, giggling in delight because of, of the literary wonder that's going on in the passage.
2: And I think, this is my own opinion and conjecture, but I've always thought, from Genesis 3. Satan, you know, listen, hath God said, indeed hath God said. Mm-hmm. And he so, said, well, wait a minute. Then Let's dig up what he said or didn't say should cause us to then search these things. And, uh, and I think maybe that's why God, again, plays these games or says, hey, you're going to have to check this out because I am saying this understand what
0: i'm saying faith Faith comes from the word word right okay and so again no matter at what level we are able to understand the scriptures um, faith comes out of reading the word and interacting with the word okay great great time together with you all we we didn't get as far as we wanted but that's okay we're we're interacting and we're learning and that's wonderful let me close this in prayer Father God, thank you for the opportunity to meet and to study your word together, to think of the miracle of you predicting things through uh, the mouths and the pens of men thousands of years ago, and for us to have the privilege uh, through the historical record to see how Jesus of Nazareth fulfilled those words um, written or verbalized. And now to anticipate the fulfillment of the rest of those things that were said that uh, remain unfulfilled. We're so grateful for the miracle of revelation. And we're so grateful as we look forward to the wonderful apocalypse of Jesus Christ. Uh, We anticipate studying that portion of your word as well. Thank you for this season of Thanksgiving. Thank you for our time together as brothers and sisters in Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. Amen. Amen.
1: Next week,